0: So this man, what he does, uh, the vampire, is that he blows the ship nine, like, nine times faster than it would normally go with his amazing breath capacity of Count Olaf, I mean Orlok, is, (laughs) he's definitely the big bad wolf now. Cinematic (laughs) fantastic.
1: Batu, Barada, Victor. I'll show you who I am, and what I am by a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. Open the pod bay doors, Hal.
0: Huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive!
1: Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weatherford. And your other host, William Weatherford. Get ready for opinions, dad jokes... And bad jokes. As we watch and review sci-fi and fantasy films from the classics of yesteryear to the new favorites of today. Good evening and welcome to the fourth episode of Cinematic Fantastic. And we're going to be talking about another silent film. We're almost out of the silent films. We've got a couple more to go. So this is the sequel to the very popular but lost (laughs)
0: Nosferat 1. Nosferat
1: 1. This is (laughs) Nosferat 2. Uh,
0: this is the second one, if you don't know. So go watch the first one. We don't have it though, so it's um, it it came out in uh, the time when the pilgrims came to America.
1: <laughs> no, if you don't want to know the <laughs> yeah. the plot to we're
0: no- we're totally not joking.
1: <laughs> the, plots for, uh, the plot for the plot for Nosferatu one plot is it shows 2. um, uh, young Count Orlok's slavery on the planet Tatooine when he is met by a Jedi master named Qui-Gon Jinn, and he is ushered into uh, the Jedi Council to learn how to become a Jedi. And so then
0: the 13th Doctor comes, (laughs) the cringiest one, am
1: I right? The 13th Doctor comes and teaches him how to be a Jedi. Yeah, that's the prequel, all right, and there's a Baby Yoda in it and everything.
0: All right. Okay, so from that, um, we are going to be doing the this came out in 1922 yep which is of course the uh best eras the 20s like this is when like everything like was developed like over the time of 1910 to 1920 was the like development of what we would see now so that's why we skipped it i think i
1: think i mean we had a
0: we had a uh dr jekyll uh do- Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, set for that, but we're uh, skipping that one. We're going to the uh, nineteen,
1: uh, the nineteen forty-one version. Yes, the, because that one, not that one, the nineteen
0: thirty-one, not
1: the nineteen thirty. That one's though. got sound and it's got Spencer Tracy in it. Yeah. All right. So, for for the nineteen twenties, it's when movies started really coming into their own. They started really exploring plot. Um, they started they doing a all lot more with the cameras. The,
0: Yeah, and they also uh, had greater length, which was because of the uh, longer and, like, more uh, tape rolls that they used to make it longer and longer and longer until it settled in now, which is um, Nosferatu, like, really, like, settled in generally all of the things that would come from later, which we'll talk about.
1: Yes, and, okay, so basically, what is Nosferatu? What is it about? Well... You could honestly just go grab a book, and uh, it's it's uh, Dracula by Stoke Bram Stoker, <laughs> and it pretty much took it word for word, except to change names uh, and change uh, locations. Some people say we well, took out some characters too, but some people say that it was changed to kind of skirt the copyright, and we'll talk about you know about that in just a minute. But there's not a lot of evidence for that. Some of it is, you know, it could be that they just changed the names for German audiences to make things, you know, a little bit better for German
0: viewers. But regardless, it got sued. Yes, and, uh, you know... So this movie, when it came out, evidently got uh, sued by the uh, fan club of uh, Dracula because it was <laughs> too much based off of it. And so it was ordered to be burned.
1: No, no, it no, It was no. burned. What about, it was his
0: wife. But we still have it, though. Okay.
1: It was Bram Stoker's widow, uh, Florence Balcombe Stoker. She was not really making any money after Bram Stoker died. Uh, His most famous work was Dracula, and she was getting the residuals from that, right? So she wasn't really getting too much money. It's it's both of those. She wasn't getting really too much money on her own except from sales of the book and things like that. So so she got really litigious. Um, You know how some people will... uh, They'll do some things with, with YouTube and get copyright strike. This was, like, one of the original copyright strikes. I mean, movies Indeed. were just getting started. And she comes out and tries to sue it and say, you know, you're using too much of the plot and too much of the characters of Dra- of Dracula, my husband's work. And... So it was burned. Well... well but we still have it. it. We still have it, though. It escaped from the fire.
0: Like, most of all of it burned. No. So this is a, a German movie, yes. just so you know. As... All of it, so it has some uh, German Expressionism. The more tame than a uh, Dr. Caligari. Go watch. That's that true,
1: because uh, in our last episode, Dr. Caligari was more. Um, a lot of the sets were artificial, and a lot of the things that they were doing with darkness and things like that, they they were artificial. They were they were created. But on this set. has a
0: more uh, natural setting. Yes. It takes place in the the countryside. Somewhere yeah, the countryside.
1: Uh, the castle of Count Orlok, uh, who is the the uh, the eponymous character. He, uh, of Nasratu, it was uh, in Slovakia. There is a castle named Castle Atravo, I think. Uh, I, I, don't, don't quote me on that. Um, but there's an amazing castle over that's still out to this day. You can go um, uh, get tours of it. And some people say it's haunted. But, uh, again, that could just be to drum up business. But it's it's very eerie and beautiful looking. And, and they filmed it directly there. And it's a hundred, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old. So it definitely brought a lot to that. And they filmed a lot in, um, in, in, in an actual German old town uh, where the canal is, canals are and everything. So it, it brought a lot of uh, like, like a realism to it. Honestly, it reminded me a lot of what they did for uh, Der, Der Golem, where they're filming in real locations and getting real light. Um, so to speak.
0: Yeah, so this is again, a, it's a monster movie as most of the ones that we're going to cover as well. This is solidifying the uh, monster movies, the old horror movies is like uh, monster movies with a titular character and this one it's Nosferatu, which is very, uh, he's very interesting. So,
1: so the thing is about it, what, what? what does Nosferatu mean? Well, we don't know. Some people have even said, oh, it's a Romanian word or it's a Greek word. Um, We don't really have a really good resource for that except for – there was a book written back in the 1800s or 1850s, and it mentions the word Nosferatu and undead and vampire and uh, uses different words like that. I think that's where – But who knows? Well, that's where Bram Stoker – Like
0: uh, Alice in the Looking Glass can have a jabberwock, jabberwocky. And uh, that'd be fine. So this is probably, like, they made up a name to be, like, fantastic. I don't think it was
1: made up. I think think somebody got it from somewhere from a myth. But it ended up – actually, vampires are called Nosferatu, like, in one little line um, in Dracula in the book. So that's where they got – and that's where they used it for the title of this. So um, a lot of the stuff about vampires where they're these very handsome, regal – Noble, um, you know, sad people. You know, very a foreign, you know, character that that came later. That came from Bram Stoker's uh, book, but this one was more based off of, you know, the original vampire stuff, where they're where they're where they're emaciated, and we'll talk about the the Orlock type. But it's they're emaciated. They have either pale or or white skin, albino, strange eyes. They have pointed ears, um, kind of a hook nose. Um, you know, long, spindly uh limbs and and long uh spindly fingers and, and claws. So and and that imagery has, has is actually more monstrous and, and more uh creepy and rat like than than the handsome Dracula that we all will see. And actually we'll see Which uh, we will
0: talk about the uh rat likeness uh later. Yeah yeah, his yeah. symbolism. Oh
1: <laughs> rats are a connection, definitely. Uh we'll, we'll actually get to another version of Yes. Yeah. When
0: he calls your name it all fades to black. <laughs>
1: We don't talk about Nosferatu. Handsome, no, well, handsome, noble, strange, alluring vampire later when we see uh, Dracula, 1931's Dracula directed by Todd, Todd Browning. That's actually, I think, going to be our first sound movie that we'll be talking about, sound film. Um, but uh, yeah, let's go into it. So now, first thing I would like to talk about. Who is our director? Huh? Our director is F.W. Murnau, but we'll talk about him in just a second, but the, we'll talk about the production of it. It was The studio that produced it was called Prana Film. Prana is actually a Hindu word for, for life energy. It's kind of like chi energy, I guess. So it was started um, uh, by a one of the producers on this. His name is Albin Grau. He was an occultist, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But he was it's kind of strange. He was actually in a... Uh, occult magic, uh, you know, group, and a lot, of, a lot. Of you, they wanted to produce occult and supernatural themed films, but Nosferatu was the only one that they did because they got, they went bankrupt, and it's mostly because of uh, Bram Stoker's widow suing him into oblivion. Alvin Grau got the idea supposedly uh, from a story of a, a, a Serbian farmer told him in the winter of 1916, but. Yeah, it's kind of doubtful. Some of these stories that have come up, we don't know if they're true or if they came up because people were asking questions about this dark film and where'd you come up with the ideas? And sometimes people embellish. People, you know, say what they want to say. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned Max Shreck. First off, we'll talk about uh, he's probably the most famous um, in this whole film because you know his his image of of Orlock is just amazing. Um, and the image of uh,
0: coming out of the the ancient porta potty in the uh, swamp.
1: <laughs> you mean? Oh, you mean he's rising. It's, it's not a porta potty. On. It's a coffin. And he's he's okay. He's rising up out of the porta potty. Okay, fine. Uh, he, you know, he was like, someone's someone's bothering me, and he he goes occupied. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So the guy. The guy who played Count Orlok, his name is Max Schreck. Uh, the name Schreck it means actually means terror, which is kind of it's just 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 a perfect in German. So that's a perfect name for the guy. Um, but honestly, and also the ogre as yeah, well, ogres as well. But he wasn't he wasn't supernatural. He just was a normal guy. Uh, he was a civil servant's son. Um, his dad did not want him having anything to do with acting or any of that stuff. He was you know one of those guys, no nonsense kind of guys. But I think that his mom was giving him, uh, young Max money uh, on the side, and Max was storing that money away to do something with it. And as soon as his dad died, uh, Max actually went and joined a drama school. Uh, he, is, he was in over about 800 screen and stage roles. Uh, he was kind of a loner, kind of quiet. He did have a wife. Um, I think... His wife was in the movie Nosferatu. Um, she he played a uh, she played a nurse. I think it was one of the nurses that worked um, in the hospital where um, the doctor is. And he, it's the doctor over this of the over the asylum. So
0: we uh, we watched a HD remake, just so you know, and it was uh, pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it was it had, so had, just... had, good, had really good quality. I I did notice that when I looked on Amazon that a lot of people whenever they would get this on DVD, um, the main people that were complaining about it were complaining about the quality of the DVD. Um, So, and again, that's just... And
0: also, it was uh, 15 more minutes than the last one. We saw Der Golem was an hour 15, this is an hour 30, well, according to our HD uh, remake. Probably because of the uh, scenes that wouldn't be in some were in uh, the one that we watched, which is very fortunate. But... Uh, there are still some scenes that we haven't seen due to the, the uh, burning, so that's an aside.
1: Yeah, there was a couple scenes that that I noticed that was was in the script that was not in the final. Um, there's a scene when we get to the part where we're talking about the plot. Uh, I'll let you know what happened in the uh, in the deleted scene. It was <laughs> literally deleted, um, due to the fire. So then, uh, let's talk
0: about. The other people as well? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, there's not much to
1: talk about um, the actress who plays uh, Mrs. Hutter, uh, Ellen Hutter. She has a really interesting part toward the end. She doesn't get a lot of screen time except, you know, she does get a scene where she's looking out over the ocean waiting for her husband to come back. And, you know, once he comes back, um, she does have an interesting uh, way of kind of solving the problem. Um, yeah, another aside
0: is that this movie is very interesting for that it actually goes to landscapes, so there are landscapes in this. They journey throughout, and there's, like, countrysides and all sorts of places that make it, like, very interesting, and, like, it adds to more. They go, like, to all sorts of places. Well,
1: yeah, tra- uh, like Transylvania. Throughout. You Ta- can you're see the about, landscapes. Uh, the landscapes of Transylvania, and then you've got the uh, the way that the city looks, and you've got the ship. So you've got some very interesting, interesting areas. It, 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 but we'll talk about the uh, ship later anyway, as you're saying about Ellen. Uh, OK, so the actress who, who portrays Ellen Hutter, who is Thomas Hutter's wife, um, she is Greta Schroeder. She was a German actress. She's best known for this role. There's not a lot of stuff. You know, There, there, there are movies we have, but we don't, you know, they're just occasional appearances by the 1930s. So she had a bad marriage with another actor named Ernst uh, Matre, and then she was uh, at one point married to an actor and film director. Uh, I think everybody who listened to our uh, Der Golem review uh, will recognize his name, Paul Wegener. Paul Wegener, Mr. Go, Mr. Golem himself, the director of of Der Golem and the actor who played Der Golem. She was married to him at one point, but as you'll see, and I did not remember this about Paul Wegener, but who wasn't married to Paul Wegener? Oh my goodness. All right. So he Paul Wegener was married six times. For the third time, he was married to the actress uh, Lydia Salmanova, who played Miriam in Der Golem, you know, the, the daughter of, of Rabbi Lowe. And he divorced her, married two other people. And then the sixth time, I think it was the last time, Greta Schroeder was his fourth wife, like so he was married to Lita Salmanova, divorced her, married Greta Schroeder, then had another marriage. So he
0: married uh, Lita Salmonella, and then he went on to more wives and more wives. You called her yeah. Salmonella? Yeah. It's Lida Salmanova. Uh, that is why you learn from uh, Solomon. He was a very great king, but he fell very greatly. Oh, because oh, he are had you tons saying, of wives. That's another Coke connection Fines because the
1: Key of Solomon is how. Uh, Rabbi Lowe learned how to how to uh, uh, summon spirits, so which is really funny. Also, so instead, he and summoned and Paul, uh,
0: divorces. And pa-
1: yeah, and Paul Wegener is like reading, "Oh Solomon, interesting. How many wives did he have?" Oh, I might have to do that. So, well, <laughs> I'm not saying anybody that gets married six times is 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 a bad person. It's just you know make a decision and just stay with it. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so um, but. The, th- the thing about uh, uh, Max Schreck is he died in um, around 1930-something. And she, let's see, when did uh, when did Greta Schroeder die? She died, oh, she died in 1980. So she lived for quite a while. But, you know, she wasn't had, didn't have that many roles um, that were very notable. They were almost like side roles. Okay, Gustav von Wangenheim. <laughs> I know, yeah, don't laugh. Gustav von Wangenheim... Um, he portrayed Hutter, and he has been in a lot of stuff. Well, about about two hundred films between nineteen ten and nineteen sixty. And um, he was a member of the Communist Party of Germany. Strangely enough, Nazis and communists were actually on opposite sides of things in a way. He actually he did anti he did did an anti Nazi protest film. He also was. During the purges of communists in in Germany, he had to leave. So, and I think he had some uh, other actors that there, there was like actually a conspiracy, actually like some kind of conspiracy theory that he, not a conspiracy, but a but an argument that he had stabbed these other two guys in the back. Supposedly, I mean, like you know, he he ratted them out, and that's not. We don't know that for sure, uh, but that's the only. Interesting thing I could think of. So let's quickly go over to the other people. Well, okay, okay.
0: The, the mo- Grandkid round. <laughs> All
1: right. So we're mainly talking about, I would say, the most, the most interesting story here, other than Albin Grau, the producer, is uh, Friedrich Wilhelm Mer- Murnau. Or F W Murnau.
0: Yeah, notice we have producers now.
1: Yes, we do have producers.
0: So they did separate things other than the director. The uh, director was the one who he runs the whole show. But the producer, what does the producer do? The
1: producer, um, he can he can get he can get the money moving. He can also be in charge of kind of kind of a a vision. He can kind of pull together the people doing special effects, people doing sound. He's pulling together a lot of the things that the director wants. So the, the director has a vision, but the producer kind of makes that happen behind the scenes. Some producers get their hands in a little too much in the in the production, and they are... So like, in a business
0: setting, he would be the uh, administrator. Kind of. But there is an administrative like, uh, part of that.
1: Yes, absolutely. The thing about Murnau is he did a lot of really good films. I mean... He's, he's more well known for, for Nosferatu, but there is a film that some critics have said is one of the best made films of the 20th century. It's called Sunrise. It came out in 1927. The plot is kind of really soap opera esque and, and dramatic, but I think what it is, the way it was made, all the different things in it, the, the you know the way it was cut, the way uh, the transitions of scenes, I think that that's what they're referring to when they're saying it's like the best film ever made. I've never seen it. I, I'm sure it's somewhere, but there he's he did 21 films, but. We only have twelve films that survive. The rest of them are completely lost.
0: And I mean, this one was still burned. No, so. yeah, we,
1: we we had a copy of that. Somebody had had smuggled it out. Uh, it's still survived. Yeah, I did. Uh, one interesting thing about F.W. Murnau is is kind of his his way of filming. Uh, one thing he called okay, there was a movement called cinema verite. It means uh, film truth. So you're tra- you show things. You also show things from the person's point of view. You put the camera where the person's face would be and and you have it look at people. So you let the camera see from the point of view. You also use a certain style to show their psychological state. So it's a way of showing truth. He also used something called unchained camera, which basically it's a mix of tracking shots, pans, tilts, dolly moves, lots of movement. I mean, all that stuff that we take for granted now that we just see all the time.
0: Especially since they moved over, like, the countryside of Transylvania. That's, like, way more yeah, movement you, than we and, ever, and you're also, like, And And also you have, have uneven gotten.
1: ground. So for a lot of dolly shots, they put out, like, the little train tracks. And they put the camera on wheels and, and wheel it in. Which is
0: something that we still do today because often we'd go places as well, even today, in order to go film stuff. Or, like, have a big area, like a big studio in order yeah, to film
1: and, it. and... And a lot of the dolly shots, they can even put on like like a like a gimbal or a crane, and they can float it over the scene. Um, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of the techniques that we use now, they were using back then, and they were just inventing them. But uh, they didn't use crane shots though. Crane no, th- that, shots. That, well, that like came a, later. later. They were not know how like later, in later, the but... 40s and 50s and 60s. So that came later. I, I think a lot more of the machinery of that was invented later. But this is this is way early. Uh, one strange, strange thing um, is about his death. So he had a car accident. He had a driver that, that was driving him, and uh, they had an accident, and he died. Some famous um, directors actually delivered the eulogy at his, at his funeral. And strangely enough, they f- we found out that since 2015, his grave keeps getting re- repeatedly broken into. Um, his body remains or whatever um, gets disturbed his skull was actually stolen in 2015 and people found like yeah dude do, do not uh do
0: not go grave digging that is not something you should do they don't have like stone they don't have
1: like treasure on them so they think that some people may have been, have been doing some strange uh, occult ceremonies because there were candles uh that were there like somebody had lit them up or something because that keeps happening they're talking about maybe sealing up the grave um, completely where nobody can get in there and get any other things. Okay, now for the producer. Um, this is fascinating. And actually, if you watch the movie, there are clues of what I'm about to talk about. So I talked about this before. Albin Grau, he was very instrumental in, in the look of everything, like costumes, sets, um, art. He was, a, he was also a production designer. He wasn't just a producer. He was an architect. Interestingly enough, he was an occultist. He was a um, member of the Fraternitus Saturni, which means the Saturn Brotherhood. Um, he had a magical name of Master Pacitus. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of these those weird symbols that you see on the document that, that the character of Nock has.
0: Yeah, who is Alexander, uh, Alexander
1: Grenach. Grenach. And, uh,
0: yeah. I don't know. He's a very interesting character, as we will cover. Uh, he covered. is.
1: And the... He,
0: he had like a uh, makeup on for like his eyebrows. I'm pretty sure, like his eyebrow and his wig were all like made it like sure bushy looks like and it, stuff with like.
1: So, um, the document that that Nock has, and also that you see, uh, Orlok have, there's there's occult symbols on them, and uh, they're, they're alche- alchemy symbols, uh, written in Enochian, which is an ancient occultic you know, stuff. So, and the thing is, Alvin Grau wanted to make films like this, but strangely enough, they chose a loose adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula and that got them in in trouble and kind of sunk their plans to have this kind of supernatural or horror-based production company making these films. I mean, Nosferatu was its only release, unfortunately, so.
0: So then we'll go over and give a couple of mentions to the uh, other people of the casts. So we have... uh, George w- without an E. H. Schnell as a Harding. He's the ship owner character. Yeah. We have a Ruth Land Landshoff as a Ruth, R- Ruth herself, who is the uh, aunt.
1: Oh, she she's the lady that uh, Ellen Hutter stays with while Thomas yeah. is off on his trip to go see Orlok, right?
0: Yeah. So. Then we have John Gotthout as a Professor Bulwer, who is a character who appears much later. Very interesting scene, as we'll cover much, much later.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. One second. Professor Bulwer, I have a theory that maybe he's a stand-in for uh, Van Helsing. Uh, Abraham Van Helsing from the uh, from the book. Ooh, very Bram interesting. Dracula. But he's not as much of a of a vampire hunter. I mean, he mentions the word vampire just in passing, and he's a scientist, but he doesn't really have that much to do. There also is a... The reason I believe this is because in the remake Nosferatu that Werner Herzog directed, um, we'll get to that when we get to the year 1979, that there is a Van Helsing character in there. And he he pretty much plays the same role as what Bulwer did in this, except for he he does one thing Bulwer does not do, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, when we get to that movie. So then we have Gustav
0: Botz, This is a German, so I'm probably going to butcher some names just so you know. As a Professor Severs, who's a guest character. And then we have more guest characters, such as uh, Wolfgang Hines, uh, Guido Herzfeld as the innkeeper. We have Carl Etlinger as a nondescript student. And we have um, Max Nemetz as the uh, captain of the ship. And then another interesting thing is we have nondescript hospital nurse, who's uh played by Fanny Shrek.
1: Yeah, that is Max Shrek's wife. So uh the thing is about some of these other characters is they do they do get some lines at least, but some of them don't. They're just kind of like well they're Glorified extras, basically. The thing about Seaver's character, I think he's based off a of Seward from the book. There is a a guy who knows Harker, which is, which ends up being Hutter, knows his wife, and he his name is Seward, and he runs an uh, an insane asylum, which is where the character Renfield, who is not in Nosferatu, which is very where interesting. Is kept. And we'll get to that when we get to the to the plot. Yeah.
0: So then that is all of the
1: uh, people. One interesting thing is when the film was released. They actually spent more money on the party for the release than they did the movie. They had an epic costume party at a zoo. It was the Berlin Zoological Gardens, the Marble Hall there. And it premiered March 4th, 1922. We are going to be releasing this episode on a Saturday. And so that means that the Friday... After the Saturday they were they were putting this episode out is actually the 100 year anniversary of the release of Nosferatu the first time. Yeah, round of applause cool. for
0: that or square any polygonal shape, <laughs> polyhexahedron.
1: It's come it's come full hexahedron now because we're doing a podcast about 100 years after its release. Isn't that crazy? All right, so the party was called the Festival of Nosferatu and it and it was a rager. It went on until two o'clock in the morning. And everybody was told to wear, uh, you know, uh, the proper attire, gowns, frocks, suitable costumes. So it was all like, you know, just like it was in the movie. Creepy stuff. I mean, it's awesome. So other German filmmakers were there like Ernst Lubitsch and Heinz Schaal. And they actually recreate that same party. I think uh, every year in Austin, Texas, there's fans from all over the world that come to what's called America's City of Bats. And they celebrate everything vampiric. So they they watch the movie on as a premiere, and they all dress up in costumes and stuff. So that counts, sounds kind of awesome to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you could have a party about anything you want, it'd probably be about vampires. Absolutely. Or wrestling.
1: Who knows? You like wrestling, <laughs> A wrestling okay, party. Okay, so yeah. next thing. Count, count me in. All right. So the thing is, people made different, you know, the copies of Nosferatu that went out, people made copies and copies of those. And there are people who, because of the nature of the movie, and it wasn't quite in, it wasn't quite in the public domain. In fact, it hasn't been in the public domain until, officially, until 2019. But people were treating it as if in the public domain even before that. And there's actually other uh, versions of this movie, even created in 1930. There was one called Twelfth Hour, A Night of Horror. It has new scenes, a different ending. It has uh, footage that didn't make the original film, and there was even a different actor playing the vampire, similar makeup. So it's kind of interesting that it's like mashups and recuts, before mashups and recuts was even a thing. And that's that's kind of that's kind of cool. There, like I said, there was a remake, of course, in uh, in 1979 by Werner Herzog, uh, starred Klaus Kinski as Count Dracula, not Count Orlok. So they actually used the names of the characters from the book. Um, and there hasn't been, of course, any lawsuits.
0: Probably because he uh, died by then. There is a, there <laughs> R. I. P. A Bram Stoker. Stoker. He's probably dead by then. He's probably dead by that.
1: Bram Stoker, I think, was dead by the time the Nosferatu movie, the first one, came out. But his wife was still, you know, really hardcore about the about the intellectual property of Dracula, and so unfortunately, she was not not very nice to them. So the, here's a, here's something that's very interesting about Nosferatu is the his appearance. Uh, interesting enough, he has, has a hooked nose, long claw-like fingernails, large bald head, and he did not try to do this, but there was actually stereotypical caricatures of Jewish people. It's interesting that we we, we come up with this anti-Semitism thing again. It actually is a thing, because many of the Nazis at the time got some ideas to portray a stereotype of, of, of a Jewish man from this kind of rat-like appearance, and it's like, ugh, again... This stuff keeps coming up again and again, but I mean, this is this is Germany right before Hitler, so of course it was stewing in people and coming up. But of course, F. W. Murnau, he was very friendly and protective of of Jewish men and women. He did not create this creature or this character to to do this. I think people were using it. It just shows how people that have twisted minds use something that somebody else created to to suit their own hateful agenda. I mean, okay, uh, Alexander Grenach, right? He played Nock, and he's a Jewish. So yeah, um, there was a rumor that F. W. Murnau had an alternative lifestyle. Uh, I'm sure you might guess what that might be, but that was that's a rumor that came from a book that was written sometime later. So all we know is that he just never really dated anybody and never really got married. And so I'm a, I'm sure somebody trying to to come up with something that might seem a little, um, you know, uh, uh, oh interesting and and uh fascinating would would say would you know say that he was or wasn't something but that's that again that's not necessarily true
0: so our final thoughts about uh before we jump into plot the uh extremely quick version
1: well we still have this Nosferatu appearance showing up even in modern books films games of all types right
0: Buffy the Vampire Slayer
1: Oh yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The Master from Buffy the Vampire Slayer has a very appearance like that. There's a vampire, Kurt Barlow. The
0: Minions movie.
1: What the, the Minions movie? Yeah, they have
0: like they try and serve a vampire and they give him like his two hundred and some birthday, but then they like kill him because of daylight because he's. I waking did up. not know that. Watch the trailer, but it's a dumb movie after all. Don't watch it. It
1: is a it is a dumb movie. Don't watch it. But you win the trivia of the day award. Da da da. Okay. So, um what I was saying is is uh Stephen King's uh TV movie for Salem's Lot had uh, the vampire Kurt Barlow. He looked a lot like Count Orlock. I mean, like almost like a carbon copy. I used to play a game, a vampire game, a uh, role-playing game called World of Darkness came out in 1991. There was a clan of vampires that were called Nosferatu, and they looked like they all looked like Count Orlock. That was their curse is they their hair would fall out, their ears would get pointed. They looked even the women, they looked just like him.
0: Yeah. Which is where we're not going to get into the opinion of should woman look like that because that'll then leap into should dwarf woman have beards and then it'll it'll get heckling. Now we're getting
1: topical. Now we're getting topical because we're talking about the new uh, Lord of the Rings. Of course, when we we get to talking about Lord of the Rings, by the time we get to talk about the movie trilogy of Lord of the Rings, the Amazon Prime series will always already be out by then, and we'll probably have some opinions, and I'll get some opinions from Mrs. Weatherford, who's my wife. She's a, she's very opinionated about Lord of the Rings, and I want to definitely know what she thinks. Um, I trust her opinion about Lord of the Rings more than anybody else because she is very expert. So I was going to mention uh, Castlevania Symphony and uh, Symphony of the Night to get. Give you kind of a uh, video game reference. So Count Olrox uh, is a character in there um, that you actually can go hunt. Um, Alucard is actually Dracula's son, and he is actually hunting down. Normally, it's Simon Belmont, but in this one, it's Alucard. Yeah, um, and he's going after after Count Olrox. Um, okay, now there's two more things that I'll mention real quick. There was a movie made in the year 2000 called Shadow of the Vampire. And it was a fictional account of the filming of Nosferatu. And they made Max Schreck be an actual vampire that F.W. Murnau had hired to get the best realism. And the scene where, that we'll talk about in the plot, where Count Orlok, you know, he dies, that scene was actually contrived to to kill the vampire. So the scene where they're filming the vampire die is a literal true thing where they kill the vampire right in front of you, in front of the camera. So... (laughs) So basically it's a fictional film used to kill the vampire when he got out of control. He was, uh, drinking the blood of, uh, people that worked on the film. They would like disappear. They're like, where's that person that used to work on this film? And they're like, uh, oh, I don't know where do they went, <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, that one we're going to avoid. But they actually got, I think that got an Oscar for Mr. Willem Dafoe who, um, Willem Dafoe also played uh, Green Goblin in Spider-Man, which we will, will watch.
0: Much, 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 much later.
1: Yeah, and uh, before we go into the plot, I'm going to flick the light up and down, just like Nosferatu in the Graveyard Shift episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, the most famous amongst uh, all the little kiddies. Uh, they, they all know SpongeBob SquarePants, and it, in the last scene of that, the light is flicking on and off at the Krusty Krab, and it's Nosferatu. He's <laughs> he just shows up everywhere now.
0: Okay, so um, we gonna take a s- we're going to take a break, and then we are going to jump into uh, the plot. So, see you then.
1: We're going to go to our coffins. We're going to lie down in our coffins in-, in the cursed earth, the cursed plague-ridden earth, and uh, we're going to sleep staring straight at the ceiling with open wide eyes and then when the daylight leaves this earth and we're back to the darkness of night we will rise again and talk about the plot of F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu Nosferatu and we're back we have risen from the grave indeed we have <laughs> we have come out of our crypts to haunt the living in the dead of night with our words our strange strange words now we're just we're just going over the plot it's nothing at all sinister yeah. at all
0: so it's going to happen is uh we're both going to go over the plot i have a lot to say about the plot because it's really cool Uh-oh. and dad's going to chime in which is Probably what we're going to do for, like, plot, unless Dad has, like, something to say about plot, of course.
1: Okay. So the film starts, and we get some title cards. The one I saw, it says, Chronicle of the Great Death in Wisborg, The Year of Our Lord, 1838. Nosferatu, does this word not sound to you like the midnight cry of the death bird? Which, apparently, you can hear. <laughs> you, can, you can hear
0: a death bird cry, which is... Uh, pretty cool, I guess. But
1: you can't hear it in the film, though. I mean, did you hear any death birds when you were listening to the silent movie? Nah, nah. It was, uh, <laughs> okay. sim- it's symbolism. So, uh... Right. We come up
0: onto this town. So the town is called Wiesburg. Or Wiesburg. Wiesburg. Wiesburg yeah. Which is, uh... Another changed name. The original uh, name for the city in uh, Dracula was uh,
1: what? Well, the original in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. In Bram Stoker's Dracula, it was yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula. It was Lo- it was London where he lived. They I have heard that they do other versions of this where they change the name of the town to Bremen, which is in Germany. So that that is if they're doing you know versions of Nosferatu. But in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Thomas Harker, not Thomas Hutter, but Thomas Harker in the book. Yeah,
0: Hutter's the uh, name we get in the original, or not the original, in Nosferatu,
1: not in the original. In Nosferatu, the German version, right. So, and it, it's it's in London where they live, he and his wife, Mina Harker, of course, uh, in the movie it's Ellen Hutter and in the remake her name is Lucy in the in the in the remake so
0: in the uh, the 11th hour remake i presume
1: well that one's a mashup that's kind of like somebody did their own uh, or remix uh I'm talking about the remake that was done by uh, Werner Herzog's 1979 yeah. which we'll watch later all right so in the fictional town of Wisburg Thomas Hutter played by Gustav von Wangenheim he's sent to Transylvania by his employer a sta- uh, state agent Nock, played by Alexander Granach. To visit a new client named Count Orlock, who plans to buy a house across from Hutter's own Do home. not
0: confuse with the popular character from Lemony Snicket's uh, Series and Fortune events who's called Count Olaf. While they have an uncanny resemblance, they are not the same character. So pardon if I uh, confuse the two characters sometimes. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, he was, he was designed after him. Uh, he's a lot more talky. But not as uh, funny,
0: I guess, than the Lemony Snickets, which are really good. Go check out that uh, series.
1: Oh, absolutely. 100%. So
0: we begin uh, in their house, and we have uh, – he's got his commission from uh, – he works for the landowner, uh, Heronok, uh as we've covered. Uh, Ellen is uh, playing with a cat, as we then see. He uh, is walking along to his home, and he gets a, a flower bundle. He has a flower bundle uh, that he gives it to her. And he laughs very deeply when he gets home. Like, this man, because of the expression needed in order to cover a movie without uh, audio, this man, he laughs. When he laughs, he laughs. Like, he's just, like, bent over laughing, like, immensely. And they're laughing at each other. They give a 360 hug. Which of course shows in the character that he loves his wife immensely, and uh, when he laughs, he laughs hard, which is a character, which is a very uh, interesting story element. And
1: they also live very happily together. So, so is this where he tells her that he's got to go to Transylvania, or what? I
0: think that comes uh, a little bit after, but then she suddenly she sees that the flowers they got had died. Uh, probably when they were hugging. Uh, they died, and she was like, "Oh, what pretty flowers!" So sorry that they're dead. What pity! And then he tells her that he has to go to work. He's like, "It's okay. The flowers are okay. I'm gonna go to work."
1: Well, wait a minute. The flowers, I think, are of course one, just one symbol, symbolic element of something living or beautiful that can die, and you know, everything can die. Uh, is basically what I got from that, which is very interesting. So. He's walking on his
0: way to work. He meets a man who, uh, he comes up to a man, and the man says, hold on, son. And then he's like, don't outrun your fate, or it'll come to get you. And, uh, that is very ominous when a man just suddenly comes up to you and says not to outrun your fate. That is, uh... (laughs) if, if, If some bum on the street, he comes up and says that to you, you would probably... But this guy, he obviously is not superstitious in any way, as we'll cover, so he takes it very lightly. He doesn't even make anything of it at all, which is another part of his character that he doesn't make anything out of anything bad in his life.
1: He takes a lot of things lightly till it gets really bad, and then he finally goes... And, and the thing is, people realize, you know, the, that a horror is upon them sometimes way too late to do something. And that's where a lot of the suspense comes in. When Who is he going to meet? He's going to
0: uh, work because uh, he works for Landover, uh, Herr Nock, as we've covered. So uh, Nock gets a letter, which has very, like, cryptic, uh, hermetic writing all over it, which is very interesting. They, like, made it up. It's
1: not made up. It's not made up. All things are made up. But it's actually, you know, occultic symbology that Albin Grau, the production designer, got. And he put on the letter that Orlok is holding later and also the lettering that Nock is holding. So Orlok, this is a quote that he says. He says, Count Orlok, his grace from Transylvania, wishes to purchase a lovely house in our little town. You could earn a tidy sum, though it shall cost some effort. A bit of sweat. And perhaps a little blood. Which
0: is pretty funny.
1: Yeah, he he wants a right, fine, deserted house. That house just across from yours. Offer him that one. Travel quickly, travel well, young friend, into the land of specters. So the
0: character of Nock, people, although there are lots of rumors about him, they basically brush it off. All they know is that he pays uh, whoever works for him very well. So, uh... Definitely signed up to go for a uh, knock.
1: He's basically Renfield. Renfield is the servant of the brainwashed, bug-eating servant of Dracula that we'll get later. In the Dracula movie that comes out in 1931, it's Renfield that is sent to to go see Count Dracula and kind of does the similar thing that, that Jonathan Harker. Oh, I said Thomas Harker, didn't I? It's Jonathan Harker, isn't it? Whatever. It's, it, I'll call him Harker. You know, it does the same thing that Harker does and Hutter does and it goes and visits him. But the way that he's portrayed kind of in, in Nosferatu and the way he's portrayed in the in the book are actually very similar. Because,
0: of course, they're based off of uh, Dracula, of course. Lots of repetition with this. Rep- repetition legitimizes. Repetition legitimizes. <laughs>
1: you kept saying – you repeated that.
0: Yeah, that's the joke.
1: Awesome. All right, so um, the thing is he, he's he got to go to Transylvania. And he gives his wife into the care of some friends of his, uh, Harding and his wife, Annie. And Annie is not Harding's wife. It's his sister. Yeah. And Harding is a wealthy ship owner, which actually comes up later. He does connect up to the plot because we have a ship uh, later on. So then uh,
0: he goes by a horse carriage and they ride him through the countryside. Lots of very um, good landscapes uh, over here. There's like shots of like mountains with the tree, there's all sorts of landscapes here, and they go places and stuff. There's like a beach butch later, but that's uh not now, but they like ride through the countryside. He's going to the inn right uh yeah, they uh stop at the inn for the night because uh as' we'll, they learn a little bit later there's a uh a wolf man or wild dog a werewolf they say a werewolf they say who lurks at the night, so he uh, he can't keep going from the inn.
1: It looks like a hyena. It looks like a hyena or a jackal wild dog or something that they got from the zoo, and they just had him, had him run which around. Which is very interesting, and probably one of the first instances we're going
0: to see of animals, well, other than the horses that we see uh, with the carriage, which feature prominently,
1: It doesn't look like a normal wolf, so it looks strangely off, like, you know, like, in a way, could be a werewolf or or some creature like that, but it is said that vampires can change shape uh, into fog into bats or other creatures, uh, or or changing the shape of wolves. So that, I guess that might be kind of uh, a hint that that somebody like uh, Orlok or like Dracula could shapeshift and take a form and wander around the countryside. Um, so I think it gives an interesting little little thing.
0: So Hutter is at the inn, and and so then he's like, I'm going to Nosferatu's castle. I need to go quickly, and everyone's like. <gasps> But not like that drawn out but like yeah. they tell him that it's a terrible place and that he mustn't go there and about the where you
1: mentioned you mentioned Count Orlok's name or mentioned the castle and everybody kind of yeah freaks.
0: because uh they know that he's a vampire probably or at least someone who's of ill intentions
1: so he before he has to go out they have they they basically tell him Hey, you know, or they, they send him to his room, and of course, you know they're always like they've got crosses, and they do they do the sign of the cross, and they do all these superstitious things. Of course, he kind of laughs it off, but he finds a he finds a little bit instead of a Gideon Bible in his it's hotel room. It's a book room, about vampires, of vampires, terrible ghosts, magic, and the seven deadly sins. That sounds yeah. awesome. So
0: read out what you got of what the book uh, stated, of which uh, Hutter was skeptical of
1: this is a book written by um a a gentleman named exposition uh it basically a lot of the, the little clues and things um on what to do with these vampires is in this book uh this is the manual of how to beat this movie um okay so it says from the seed of belial sprang the vampire nosferatu who liveth and feedeth on human blood that's so metal uh, this unholy creature liveth in sinister caves, tombs, and coffins, which are filled with cursed dirt from the fields of the Black death, which is the first uh, time that it mentions something about yeah. plague, with the imagery from the the black plague that happened uh, in Europe many, many, many years before definitely come up all right, so Hutter kind of laughs and throws the book down, takes off his boots. He wakes up the next day. He's just, he feels great. He greets the morning. He sees wild horses running around outside. He just, he picks that book up again because I guess it was really entertaining. And he starts laughing and, you know, oh, while well, he's reading it. And, oh, some more superstition. So he chucks it down. He gets out. He gets a Transylvania coach.
0: But something interesting yeah. about it is that what uh, happens? at least probably the uh, remake that we uh, did was that there were, uh, for sunsets, they were pink tinting, which is something that, as far as I know, was a part of that movie, is that they tinted it pink for the sunrise and sunset, which is very interesting and differentiates it from the uh, daytime as something very interesting, notable detail.
1: Yes, but, but what we'll see later is the tinting is not always uniform. So my wish was that if they're in the daytime, everything would be tinted pink, And if they're in the nighttime, everything would be tinted blue or purple so that I could realize because sunlight and sun, you know, and day daylight becomes a big deal in this movie. And because it's all in black and white and the way the limitations that they had to to film in, I could not if I if someone did not tell me, I could not tell whether what was happening was literally in the day or in the night unless Someone mentioned it in the, in the script, in the title cards or whatever. And we'll talk about that later. You have to kind of really go, okay, this is the best they could do you know, with the kind of technology that they had. They couldn't film in, in super low light because the cameras wouldn't pick it up. So they had to film in the light Which that they had. Which is why in Caligari
0: they painted the shadows because another reason for that would be that they wouldn't normally be able to have shadows like that, as you say
1: that's true and the tenting though you know would be give modern audiences a really good idea you know when when it's nighttime when the vampires can roam and when it's daylight when they cannot and we'll talk about that particular element because um, this story started the idea that vampires are weakened unto death from from sunlight uh, because in the book, I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but in the book, he's weakened by the sun, and he doesn't have as many of his powers. But he is not, you know, he doesn't—he doesn't burn at the touch of uh, of the sun as as a lot of vampires. In fact, did burns after when this. the
0: uh, rooster cries, when it's obvious that it's daylight and stuff.
1: Well, the rooster cry—the rooster crying is, the is like an alarm clock. It's the symbol of it's—it's it's sunlight's coming. So that, that they'd bring that up later. They travel. On the
0: coach after they get out of the inn, and they're traveling through the absolutely stunning landscapes. However, when they get to the uh, pass over, I don't know, a gorge or a river. It's, it's called the Borgo Pass. So they come up to it, and then they're like, "This is as far as we're going to go with the coach." And then they pay him there. He walks off.
1: Well, it's getting dark. It's getting, it's getting dark. dark. They're like, "We're we're scared. We don't want to go any further." He says, uh, "Whatever you want to pay us, we're going to stop here. We won't go any further." We've got a bad feeling about heading over the pass. He's like, all right, whatever. I'm going yeah. on my own. So he takes the pack and puts over his back, So he goes, and he goes
0: over the bridge, which is where we enter from Transylvania to Nosferatu Land. It symbolizes <laughs> the border uh, between uh, the wilderness and the hero's place as uh, the hero's journey. He goes into the uh, magic land. Or I, I don't know. Is the, the, is uh, it, it's, it's like the th- it's a the the threshold.
1: threshold. It's a threshold. Yeah, which is which is that borderland between, you know, what you what you know and what's comfortable to what is strange and otherworldly. Right, exactly. I, I I didn't think about that, but you're actually right. Now, there is an effect and we are going to talk about this special effect a little bit. I know they did the best they could with the technology they had. Um there is a something you can do with a camera and how you crank the camera it's while called you're filming under cranking and it, and it speeds everything up. So when you're filming something it it just makes everything look like it's moving really fast. and uh, as Hutter is heading through the countryside, head to to Count Orlock's castle, what does he see but a coach moving super fast through there and all i could hear in my head was the 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 banjos and it just going down 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 play that right all right so it's just coming through and there is a specific thing they do here which they duplicate in Dracula 1931 which we'll see if you look it's easy to notice once you is the coachman who's driving it He looks like Count Orlock. In fact, you might even say he is Count Orlock. I would disagree. He's a
0: a completely different entity.
1: It's him. I disagree. No, it's not. It's him. Because the reason I think that is because in 1931's Dracula, there's a coachman, and you can tell from the nose up, it's Bela Lugosi, the guy who plays Count Dracula. And I think that it is a something that they're trying to show with this is that is that you know taking different forms and having these uh, these mysterious abilities that they don't explain whatsoever? It makes it more mysterious, like you know uh, uh, mistrustful. Now, in the remake of Nosferatu nineteen seventy nine, it is not Orlok driving the coach; it is some other person, uh, perhaps someone that Orlok sent, a servant. Um, but which is fine. But I I liked that they had that um, that that in the original Nosferatu, because I remember it from 1931's Dracula. Uh, So he goes
0: into the coach, and they wander through the malevolent uh forest. It's like a very evil magical forest, which is the protective border for Nosferatu's castle. It's very interesting. They take a negative of the forest and of the whole scene to make it look like they're going through a magic uh area. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah. And so once they go through it, We've gone over the river and through the woods, so therefore uh, to Grandma's house we go. (laughs) So Nosferatu is the house that we're going to.
1: Grandma looks like a balding, rat-faced dude. So I don't know about your grandma or my grandma, but this grandma looks like a rat-faced, weird dude. He's holding his hands in a very weird rat-like way. Instead of having fangs that are in, on his canines, he's got them at the very front, more like a more like a real vampire or a rat bat. or a rat. He looks like a rat. I'm sorry. Now he can make and he also he's got some really cool doors. I mean, it's it's almost like the this castle is is like a Walmart or whatever because those doors are opening, you know, automatically. That's just that's just that's coolness. I don't know what Hutter thinks about that. Like, does nothing phase him? He just thinks everything's just natural and everything is explainable. He see something supernatural like that happens. If something like that happened, I'd be like, "Nope, nope. Uh, uh-uh, nope. I'm getting back on the cat coach. I'm out." <laughs> so then uh
0: he joins them for dinner. Uh Hutter joins uh Nosferatu or Count Olaf, sorry, uh Orlock. He, <laughs> he uh joins Orlock to uh dinner while he's like signing the paper So he accidentally cuts his thumb. And that's probably something that you might do a lot, which is why you don't give uh, your children a big block of stainless steel. Am
1: I right? <laughs> right, exactly. I don't know why he was distracted by the clock. I think now that that happens in the remake too. So he, he cuts his finger pretty deep, and Count Orlok just as soon as he sees the blood, he's like, "Ah, oh, you've hurt the yourself." Precious blood. The precious blood. Yeah, it really creeps. Uh, it, it really takes creeps the Hutter and out. Sucks it, and he starts. Yeah, he st- he, st- he starts coming toward him, and he's and in, in, uh but then he sees that he's kind of creeped Hutter out, and so he kind of goes, he said, "Can we not stay together a little while longer? It's uh, still quite a long time until sunrise, and I sleep by day, completely dead to the world." Okay, look, I'm sorry. The guy is like, he came at he came at you like an animal trying to suck your thumb, and then you're like, "No, don't do it." And He goes, "Oops, just kidding." J.K. bro, bro. I'm just playing, huh? I'd be like, um, this is not a great job. This I, I guy is so money. sus. He is super sus. So he goes to, he falls asleep by the fireplace. Orlock is gone when he wakes up. His finger, his finger is healed, but his neck feels really strange. I wonder why. Now, he wakes up, and he's hungry, and there's the, oh, the food. The spread on this table is awesome. I mean, it just looks, it looks great. I mean, it's got everything. The servants that work for Orlok have really outdone themselves. They did a Cause great job. Because
0: after all, he's a uh, rich person, but he's not really more the rich person as much as the timid little rat person. But he eats his breakfast heartily. He uh, he goes outside to write a letter to his wife to tell him that he's okay, and he's like, really strange. There are two punctures that are in that probably were uh, two mosquitoes that bit him. But of course, we know that's not true.
1: You might say those mosquitoes really suck. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Anyway, all right. Thanks a lot for that one. So
0: that uh, night, Warlock he's uh, continuing to sign the documents to uh, purchase the house, and he notices Hutter's photo of his wife that he uh, set down. And he's like, wow, she has a lovely neck, which
1: is, of course, he Ugh. is uh, absolutely sus. Yeah, okay, look, the guy's, even if he's not a vampire, he's he's kind of a creeper, and he's absolutely inappropriate. But because he's a vampire, he just can't help but just say that somebody has a nice throat. Uh, Thanks? What am I supposed to say? Uh, Thanks? Yeah, I, I noticed that about her, too. She's... But she's my wife. Did I yeah. mention that? Yeah. But then hands this off, is bro. where he catches on as he goes and continues to read
0: the book, and he connects the dots a little bit. He's like, "Wait a minute!" And so then he suspects it.
1: It says, uh, "It says at night that same Nosferatu digs his claws into his victims and suckles himself on the hellish elixir of their blood. Take heed that his shadow does not engulf you like a demonic nightmare and encumber you with gruesome dreams." That's so metal. That's just, that's so metal. I just want to hear metal music right now. Okay, anyway, go ahead. So then he's in there.
0: He suddenly sees that Nosferatu is coming for him in the titular uh, shot of him opening the door. And he's there. And he's, like, cowering. And he's, like, in extreme fear.
1: Yeah, At the same, same
0: time, time um, we cut to Ellen, his wife, is, like, sleeping or about to sleep. And, uh, or er, awakens from the sleep. And is, like, in a trance kind of state. She walks, like, onto her balcony, and then she's like, she shouts a uh, husband's name, apparently being able to see um, Orlok threatening uh, her husband via the Deathbird's cry, as we'll, uh, spoiler we'll
1: figure out. She's She's got, she's got, she's having psychic visions. She's kind of getting psychic visions of her husband. Maybe it's a connection that she has with her husband, and then she can see when he's in danger. That's kind of awesome also we have a prop that uh shows in some shots
0: is a skeleton clock which i think is a very nice touch uh to this story and to his like area which is very cool so then uh who is
1: the uh person
0: who sees her uh in the trance like
1: state i think it's the, the, the ship owner harding guy sees her walking out there and she falls and he catches her and so, then brings her back to the bed. And they call a doctor. They call Doctor Seaver, I think. Yeah. Probably. So the
0: next day, he's uh, exploring the castle. He finds a coffin. It's a very interesting looking coffin, or not really. I'm being sarcastic. And he looks in, and there's like this dirt stuff in it, and, and rats. some rats, of course, as we later find out, which is uh, more rat symbolism. Which we'll talk about the symbolism of the rats a little bit more detail
1: later. And Orlock, Orlock sleeps with his eyes open like a rat-faced Gandalf.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he's basically Gandalf incarnate, the spitting image of Gandalf.
1: No, no, he just G- Gandalf sleeps with his eyes open, and Orlock does too. I don't know, like a. So we have weird. a cartoon
0: time lapse. Uh, Cow Olaf, sorry, Orlock. Yeah, that's <laughs> Orlok. never gonna get old is, uh, Orlock he's piling up his coffins, like three or four coffins, and then he climbs into the last one while it departs, which is, of course, not his. He is snuck in onto the coach.
1: No, so he, uh, he looks like he, 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 puts himself inside one of the coffins. People on the raft have no, they're going downstream. They have no idea that they've got a twisted vampire in one of the coffins in there. So, uh, so he escapes using, doesn't he escape using bed sheets? Tied yeah together. and so he crawled
0: down and he was like flabbergasted and he's like the jig is up and then he's like falls unconscious because of the absolute uh, travesty so uh people later discover him and nurse him back to health in the in hospital. a hospital
1: yeah yeah some uh some farmers found him and they were saying he had a he had a fever and then after which he rushes home
0: but then a very interesting thing happens next is that we have another thing where they show more about how the vampire is, like, described. When uh, we have a Professor Bulwark, he's giving a lecture on Venus flytraps. So what does the uh, script say then?
1: Um, well, what he's doing is he's talking about the secrets of nature and the unifying principles. He There's a part where he talks about um, uh, carnivorous plants, and, and he says... Uh, is it not like a vampire? Uh, and that's an inter- interesting way he puts that.
0: Which are why the coffins are being taken is because they contain the dirt needed for the ex- uh, experiments. Um, he's giving a lecture to some students on the Venus flytraps.
1: There's a there's a little a small multicellular or single very very you know uh, small creature called a polyp, and he said he says it's a polyp with tentacles, and he says transparent, almost incorporeal, nearly just like a phantom. So it's what I see that he's doing here is he's looking at things in nature that and how It's showing how the audience they are
0: uh, how the vampires are kind of like showing the imagery, which is really
1: really fascinating. It's something pretty new, like like a predator. They're they're a predator, and, you know, and and nature has predators. They're very ghostly and strange. So it kind of goes, why not? Why not something like Orlok? Why not a Nosferatu? And this why is not? why
0: you, uh, base all your movies off of books is because you could have the chance to, uh, as along with something that you can do in a book is give imagery as well. So movies that do that are all the richer, uh, for it. Uh, and so then after this, we get a scene where, uh, knock, he's, uh, snagging some flies. Meanwhile, and he's like, ooh, the precious blood, the precious blood. So he's obviously a vampire. Spoiler alert.
1: Well, he's starting on the path to that. Okay, so let me explain something real quick. He's absorbing the life of some of these tinier creatures like flies and spiders. Some of the things that they are talked about in the book and here are the same. Uh, and it inspired, I just, I can't help but remember the role-playing game that I played from World of Darkness where... Or Vampire the Masquerade, where there are these creatures called ghouls, and basically you would vampires would let people drink their blood, and they'd pass blood back and forth, and basically become their servants. And these servants can go about during the daylight hours without, you know, getting burned. And some of the weaknesses that the vampires have, they don't have. And so what they can, and the, but the life that they have to absorb are from animals that they could kill and eat or bugs, or different things like that. So that's why Nock is doing that, is he's absorbing their, the tiny life that they have. Uh, he's not. He's on his way, he probably wants the Master to turn him, but the Master's probably like, uh, whatever, just keep serving me. And, and Nock is like, I'll do whatever for the Master. Uh, but I doubt Orlok was ever going to turn him. There's actually a cool scene in the remake where, and we'll talk about it later, uh, when Nock meets the Master, and the Master's just very like, get off me, bro. <laughs> It's pretty cool. Anyway, so did you talk, did you talk about the uh, scene where the sailors are loading the crates onto the, the ship?
0: Yes, that is the next scene. So in the next scene, um, we have a schooner. They're uh, they're pulling the uh, they're pulling the coffins up uh, into the schooner, and they see the uh, they see the manuscript, which is uh, not in some of the releases but was in the uh, version that we watched was uh, that there was a whole uh,
1: manuscript that had stuff on it. Do you have that, uh, Dad? I don't have the manuscript uh, in front of me. What I did see is that it was supposed to be for uh, experimental purposes, uh, six crates of dirt. Um, I just remember that they were they pulled out one of the crates and dumped all the dirt out of it to see what was in it and these rats come out of it and this guy starts hitting with hitting them with shovels. Um, I think, and this is a warning to people that love animals. I think he may have actually hit one of the rats with the shovel. So, if you like animals, sorry, but most rules, people don't yeah. like
0: rats anyway. Like sometimes um, we have mouse problems, yeah. and Dad just like will go ham on them with the mouse traps. Uh, he's just so upset uh, about them.
1: Yeah, I I think maybe I'm. That's why I don't like Nosferatu, is because he's he looks he's just a rat man.
0: So, on the onset of World War One or two. Is the uh, the symbolism of the rats? It can be associated with uh, the Jews. Yes, is, uh, another okay. instance of anti-Semitism that might be gleaned
1: from this uh, instance. Well, let me explain something on that. So, uh, F. W. Murnau did not, like I said before, uh, when we talked about the making of the movie, um, his intention was not to. To deal with that, his intention was to mainly talk about this, um, um, this you know, t- to portray the story. It was, I think, it was other people, um, like some of the people early, early people that were in the Nazi Party, uh, that would that did the propaganda. Here we go again, you know, those propaganda guys. Um, they, everything that, that they that they cr- see that's created, um, they always want to twist it to to say what they want to say. And although F.W. Murnau just wanted to tell a good supernatural occult story, you know, and good on him for that, um, it, just seems, it just seems like people were willing to twist that to, to make the story mean something that it didn't. You know, the, the whole thing about um, here, here we have someone from an, an, another culture, another land, they're coming in as an invader, and oh boy, they're carrying disease. They're smuggled onto a ship. Yeah, they're com- they're coming in on a ship, you know, unbeknownst. They are uh, they're bringing plague. Uh, they have to have hooked noses and and you know and these features. And you're like, you know, that's not what F.W. Murnau was trying to say. But I think that uh, many times people that have twisted minds and have evil in their hearts and evil intent, uh, they're they're trying to see the the film as something different than it was. And I can see how somebody could find those elements in the movie, but that's not what his original intent was. I just want to get get out there and say that I don't think that F.W. Murnau meant this to be an uh, an anti-Semitic film. Me neither. But but yeah, and and honestly, I think I think what it was is it was done in Germany, and in Germany the Nazi Party was was rising up, and they were starting to formulate this this anti-Semitic idea that would then unite the Nazi Party uh, in having. Um, someone to demonize as long as you have someone to hate and demonize and pour all your, your violence and your hatred towards you can unify people in showing, Hey, you know, you're doing the right thing to hate these people because they're awful. And and you can, you can create whatever you know, whatever list of things that these people are and how terrible they, they are. And it's only, you're, you're only doing the right thing. If you point out where these people are so that we can take care of them because they're a poison and a, and a and, and a, a a virus, a plague on Germany,
0: which is obviously supposed to represent the uh, Black Death, as it is with rats, and uh, during the time they purposefully set it up to yeah. Be... And,
1: the, and the the Black Plague was during was was many many years earlier, but there was tons of people that died from that, and it was called the bubonic plague because the bumps that people would get were called buboes, b u uh, b o is where that word comes from, and the creatures that would spread it. Were these fleas or gnats? Well, the fleas or the gnats would be on the rats. Flea and a in in a hole in the bottom of the sea. Yeah, exactly. Rat
0: in a hole in the bottom of the sea. There's
1: yeah, and a there's hole. a black there's a black plague in that hole, and uh, you know, and out it came. So, okay, so now to cut long story short,
0: basically yeah. the schooner arrives. Nosferatu has arrived at the house across from Hutter, as he promised. Uh, in his documents at the beginning of the story.
1: And uh,
0: everyone is dead.
1: Friggin' dead. And uh, Orlock is... This, this is a really creepy scene, but on the ship, one by one, each person is succumbing to weakness and possibly even plague. And they start dumping each... The actual reason for uh, them dying is actually
0: the... A vampire, and actually, not the actually, actually
1: plague. Right, exactly, and they have to start dumping the bodies over over the the edge. So a lot of the bodies are just missing um, when when once it lands. You know, they're painting uh,
0: red X's all across all the doors of all the dead.
1: But what happens is there's a scene, of course, where the fa- very famous scene where Orlok rises from his crypt, he or his coffin, he just rises straight up at a you know, at an angle. You know, like he's being live hoisted up via magic, and he, of course, he walks creepily along the ship. It's a really cool scene. Everybody dies, and, and the last one to die is the captain. But in order to keep the the ship headed toward you know, headed toward the country, he ties himself to the to the to the steering wheel to the you know the steering column, and and so that when it lands and everybody you know finds a ship and it's very strange. There is nobody on it except for the captain. He's tied to it. They start doing research. Uh, they start looking at the uh, at the logbook um, and to see exactly what's happening.
0: But how on earth can they get all the way from Transylvania all the way over to uh, Hutter's country that quickly? So this man, what he does, uh, the vampire, is that he blows the ship nine like nine times faster than it would normally go with his amazing breath capacity of count. Olaf, I mean Orlok, (laughs) he's definitely the big bad wolf now.
1: (laughs) I thought it was sorcery summoning an ill wind to uh, hit the sails and blow it.
0: Nah, it was his breath capacity. It was his
1: breath. All right, so... Okay, so what's happened, as it's coming into Wisborg, of course, Nock is in an insane asylum. He's, he's in a kind of a jail cell, and he has stolen a newspaper from somebody that wasn't looking. I think these they need to be a little bit more alert. So he, uh, what he sees and it says, Plague in Transylvania and the Black Sea ports of Varna and Galaz. An epidem- epidemic of plague has broken out. Young people are being carried off in droves. All victims present, the same peculiar wounds on their neck. The origin of which is still baffling to doctors. The Dardanelles were closed to all ships suspected of carrying the plague. Which is actually
0: uh, the vampire, of course. He's on a killing streak. So meanwhile, we cut to a beach, which is like very interesting that they go all the way to a beach. So there's a, a graveyard on this beach. And uh, the wife, Ellen, has been taking a vacation over there, reads the letter, and then is like, hold on, and then reads the vampire book, and then goes, oh no, it's a vampire, and then goes all the way over to her house to continue reading the book, or the volume two. Well, Hutter, book, Hutter,
1: Hutter comes home uh, very, very soon, and of course, while he's coming to see her, of course, uh, the plague and the rats are coming through the town in, in various levels. So uh, Orlock or, or- Orlock has, has been unbeknownst to everybody has come off the ship and he's carrying the coffin. Uh, he's carrying it like somebody would carry uh, like a clothes basket you know like he's doing his laundry. I mean he just carries it under his arm and it just it's a very interesting look for him. He's washing the blood off of the clothes. Oh yeah, of course he's got a wa- you know and what uh, he's using a you know color safe cheer. Alright, so, okay, as he's going... So, Ellen is reading the book, continuing to read the book, and so it
0: says if a pure-hearted woman distracts the vampire with her beauty, then when the rooster crows, um, then the vampire will be killed because it distracts them long enough in order to stay past, uh,
1: well, her giving her blood willingly is what distracts him, and he, you know, he's he's in a reverie. He's kind of like you know, just feeding as long as he can. Normally, he would be like, "I gotta go," and she's like, "No, stay a little longer. I've still got a little bit more blood in me, like some you know weird Capri Sun." that you can drink out of. And then of course, the crowing of the rooster, it heralds the dawning of the day. So it makes him not think about what's happening and then that's what dis- and then he's supposed to get disintegrated. While she's reading that, the gentlemen from the town led by Harding and Seefers, they have figured out that the plague is coming through but that it's something more. Um, they, like you said earlier, William, they had been marking the houses, and this is the, kind of the, the very creepy part, though, that we get before this, is they go to each house and mark crosses on the doors of people that, that, that are infected, and they're taking coffins of dead people out of the houses, and there's a long procession of coffins going down the street. It's a really cool image, and you see that here. You also see that in the remake. Uh, definitely.
0: So everyone asks where has Nock gone? He's our favorite character. Why on earth is he gone? So the reason is they choose him to be a scapegoat for the uh plague. I don't know their stance on uh deism. But <laughs> Um, they choose him to be a scapegoat, and they uh, capture him uh, eventually, of which he is never they're heard chucking from rocks again. They're at him.
1: It's a great scene that you can see rocks just flying through the air, hitting him. He's, he's on top of a roof, you know, and he's sticking his tongue out at him. It's, it's, it's awesome as they're, as they're chasing after him.
0: So uh, Ellen sacrifices herself while uh, Nosferatu then crumbles uh, before him in an epic death scene. R.I.P. Nosferatu then hutter then comes over and he sees her and hugs her one final time before she uh dies
1: and honestly i've seen some scenes where you know in later movies where they disintegrate him uh you know the his skin will will crinkle and and fall off like ash until he's just nothing but a just a gray skeleton that falls to the ground but this in this they used one of the uh, you know one of the older techniques something that Somebody that watches George Melly, S we would recognize is just just a straight up dissolve. One of the sim- simplest effects that you could possibly do. I think they could probably could have done it a little bit, you know, uh, a, put a little bit more in it. But it's just a simple dissolve. Um, the sunlight is what hits him. What I mentioned earlier is kind of just a just one little pet peeve I have with this movie is that there's a part where Orlock is wandering around in in what looks to be the daylight, and I know he has to be one. According to the script, he has to be wandering around at night but they're filming during the day saying it's nighttime and I'm like you know I could really use a tent that's all I'm saying just tent it blue so I know that it's nighttime I know it's a pet peeve of mine but in all the in all the other movies uh, the cameras of course are, are better quality they can pick up um, you know things that happen at night lighting is, is a lot better uh, as, as techn- I know technology does grow and get better. Um, so it's kind of those, those, we give it, we give the movie a little bit of leeway. I get it. I guess it's me just being, being a nitpicker, uh, you know, kind of nitpicking the movie here and, and, and nitpicking movies is kind of fun, uh, to kind of point out little flaws and things, but this one is more has to do with the technology, just not being up to, you know, what we would expect. So then in this final scene, Count, uh, Orlok's
0: castle crumbles down in the last scene of the movie before uh, fiend or Finn, <laughs> depending on whether you're terrible at that, means end. that or that, not. That means the end. That's a, that's
1: a, that's a really highbrow, stick-your-pinky-out uh, way of saying end in a movie. So then,
0: which represents the end of his reign... Uh, in the town.
1: Yeah, and the, the thing is, uh, what I've heard said about this movie is that it's not really a scary movie. And if anybody says, oh, oh that movie wasn't scary, I don't think the movie is as scary as it is haunting. You know, the, the images that you see are very, very iconic. But as we move
0: forward toward the more like stuff when it's like Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Dracula, 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 Frankenstein, you know. Uh, on our lists, uh, going to line up like that when it gets toward that, like the quality is drops low enough that it's just like copy and pasting and copy and,
1: uh, pasting rather than uh scary, the quality does, the quality does get be- the, just, you'll see the quality does get better. And the movies, yes, are suspenseful and, and, uh, stylized and, and, and interesting, I don't think there's anything that would make you jump, you know, like with with fright. But I, you know, audiences at the time would be would have been very, you know, creeped out by certain elements and and maybe a little scared. But I I think we've seen so you know so many of these movies. Um, like this, that it takes a lot more to, to actually literally scare someone with, with fright. But
0: because it's not, like, as, probably not as, like, rich as, like, the stuff of this era, like, Nosferatu and Calgarian Der Do- uh, dergolem all, like, settle in what the era is like, the era greatness, which all puts them pretty much, like, all the same level or, I don't know, slightly exceed or decline, depending on your vo-
1: viewpoint. Well, okay, the th- thing I would say is this, is that when people think about classic horror or scary movies, you know they think about about movies like 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 Invisible Man or Dracula or Wolfman, um, you know Frankenstein. The because those people tend to remember the movies um, that have have sound and have the music, um, and, and they stick more in your mind. And with a si- silent movies, I think don't get kind of the 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 cultural play i think that some of those sound movies do so it's good that we're seeing these to see the roots and where uh where these other movies got their ideas and came from and how they built upon those uh, built upon those that imagery um but honestly i i like silent film silent films but the ones that have music and and have actual you know, hearing hearing actors talk and and actually have lines i think is is what I most remember about about old film is the, I can still hear those things in my mind. With silent films, it's just the imagery that you have to go on, and that and that and that does stick in your mind. But um, honestly, the thing that I'm looking forward to most is some of the movies that we'll see uh, probably in a couple uh, uh, a little bit later. Because I I remember those a lot a lot more than I do the silent films. I appreciate the silent films so much. You have no idea, but the ones that I remember. When I was younger, are mostly uh, from the sound time period, probably 1930 on. So that's uh that's the
0: whole movie done. Yeah.
1: So so what are your what are your thoughts top to bottom? What are your thoughts? Your 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 favorite things about it and things that you did not like? Can you give me those? So I liked how there
0: were like story elements that probably because it originated from being based off of a movie, it inherited enriched it like a lot when you dig into it, like. A lot of movies that like they can have underlying value. Like when you dig into it, that's what I really like. Is when you dig into something enough, you can find the underlying value, the little tidbits, the little facts, the little things that they do in order to do stuff. You know, like they didn't have to make Knox uh, eyebrows have makeup, but they did, which adds to his character. A lot of the things that
1: that they did with actors were the same. They they are still coming from a, a theater mindset. You know, if you are trying to have things that are recognizable to people that are maybe in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh row of the theater, you've got, and, you know, if you've got a kind of a crazy character, you've got to give him some, you a know, shock of white hair or, or thick eyebrows. You've got to kind of, and uh, you'll see that a lot with silent film, is they, and even other films, but mostly silent films, is they would... Put a lot more stage makeup on the actors' faces because it would, the black and white uh, film that they're filming on would, it would pick it up uh, a lot better. So you see some of those theatrical things still, you know, with the big expressions and uh, the, you know, kind of overboard, you know, kind of an overacting a little bit to, to get the point across. Um, so things like the bushy eyebrows and stuff like that, they had to get, they had to be able to, even if you're. Seeing him from afar off, you've got to be able to tell, hey, that's Knock. You've got to, or hey, that's Orlock. You've got to give them some some characteristics that you can see at a distance. Um, but yeah, the 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 I think that this movie, what helped this movie, is that it was based off of Dracula, which was very which was very popular, and it's a it's a well written book. Um, the uh, but the thing that hurt it is that it was really based on Dracula. And there was a copyright on that. Uh, it's a shame that that uh, that, that was almost destroyed. Uh, but no, it, I, the fact that it survives, I think it is... Um, and a lot of these things survives it is a testament to uh, people kind of making, making copies and doing restorations and things like that. Uh, you know, we still have some scenes that were missing in the final Nosferatu that are in the original script... I won't go into that here, but just to let you know, those are—I mean—that kind of. Those are some things that that there. If you look at an original script for some movies, you'll see there's some scenes that they planned on doing, but they cut out of, you know, the end product. So I don't see how there's any big difference between what Nosferatu did, and, and if you look at some more modern films that may have had some scenes that were cut, you know, we have, nowadays we have scenes that are cut that are put on the, the deleted scenes on the on the DVDs. Um, but these were literally deleted in in a fire. So the best we can do is just, is just take what was given to us, what we were able to restore and judge that on its own merit, even knowing that it's not the complete product, but it's enough of a complete product that we can look at it. And, and the, the imagery still sticks with us today. Um, So you know, okay. okay. So what are some things you did not like about it? And and, and, you know, I know that my my little nitpick about the about the sunlight and the coloring is just really a tiny thing. I didn't really have anything uh, prominent that I didn't like about it. Um,
0: It was a pretty fine of a movie, and uh, the characters were the characters the characters were good. So a final thing that I wanted to say was that the development of this is like a major development of this movie was that it went places like they literally went to a beach they went all across from a town to transylvania they went over a freaking ocean somehow <laughs> i don't know if they had drones no there, no no like,
1: they had uh they probably um the footage they had of the ship they probably had it uh on a uh on a riser they had it lifted up So that you can't see, you know, look over the side, you can't see any city, uh, anywhere. Yeah. Like, they moved so
0: many different kinds of, like, places versus the other ones that we definitely know that the, uh, camera can move, like, wide spaces and, like, to all sorts of spaces. We've just gotta have that further development to have the moving camera, like, the moving cameras that we, like, can get, uh in the current uh that's true
1: but i will tell you even though even though you can film outside and you can film you know the cameras still did not pick up light the way they wanted to now even even movies like in the 1930s uh, and 40s they would still use they would film some outside but it was cheaper to film on sets uh, you'll notice even uh, in, when we get to Frankenstein, there's a scene, uh, I think it's The Bride of Frankenstein, which is the sequel to Frankenstein. There's scenes that are in a forest, and you know uh, the Frankenstein's monster is wandering through there, and he's being chased by the people. Everything that you have there is a set that was built, that it was in the Universal Studios lot. I mean, they had a huge warehouse that they would build all this stuff inside. But this is a further is, development that we are now. You see things like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, where they're filming on these sets, and they look very artificial. They try, later on... Uh, they try to make sets look as realistic as possible, as naturalistic as possible. You could tell it's on a set, but your mind kind of goes, but it's so good that you just kind of go with it. And they did that so they could control the lighting, so they could control everything about the situation. They don't have to wait till the sun is just right. They can just you know, film how they want to film and put the shadows exactly how they want to put it. And if they want to have you know, something like clouds in the background, they can, they can project those onto a screen in the way back. I mean that was kind of the first green screens in a way. Is the it's called rear projection, or you know they would project it behind. They do that. They will do that a lot in future films. So that is all I have to say about the movie for today. Yes. Uh, What we have coming up is the Lost World. It is a first. For us on the podcast, because it's the first silent movie that's made by Americans. This time we've had French, um, I think, with Melies, right, and then we had um, German, we had, which was Doctor Caligari, Der Gollum, and Nosferatu. Now we're into American. This is The Lost World. It's based off of the science fiction novel The Lost World by sir arthur conan doyle dinosaurs yes it's a first because it's the first movie with dinosaurs in and it will not be the last so i hope you enjoy that another thing i would like to say is that i do you hear that off in the distance uh it sounded like a rooster crowing I, i i we lost track we were we were feeding on the the important nutrients of this movie and we got distracted and now the sun's rising and its rays are peeking peeking through the clouds and we have
0: to go to bed cuz it's way too late
1: i thought we were going to say we were disintegrating and we would turn to dust but okay yeah bed is bed is awesome but yeah i don't know about you but uh i'm feeling like i'm fading away goodbye oh, no. bye guys goodbye. keep watching keep listening See you next time. Don't forget to open your third eye and telepathically message us at cinefanpod at gmail.com. Set your chronoscope dial to the future setting and peruse cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. Hunker over your ham radio as your keen ears listen for the ghostly voices tweeting on our Twitter at cinematicfanta1. Exchange all of your money into Republic Credits and donate at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinefanpodcast Ending transmission now.